Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. We're in the middle of our series on the Gospel of John. We've made it all the way up until Jesus' final night, where Jesus has explained to his followers that he's going away to prepare a a home for them, that he's going to the cross, and he's going in order that he might return so that they might be his home, that he might take up residence in them through the Spirit. But we've gotten to a place where, where it's become all too obvious that, of what's about to happen. That, that, that Jesus and his disciples are about to walk out of Jerusalem, that they're about to walk into the Garden of Gethsemane, and that Jesus is about to be arrested. And everyone else is about to tuck tail and run. So it's become more than apparent how much the Spirit is needing. Because without God, without God's presence in our lives, we can't follow. Without God, we quit following. And so, Jesus turns to pray. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in John chapter 17. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there, follow along, and I'm going to begin by reading it. Again, John 17, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that that everything that you have given me is from you, for, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that that they also may be in us, so, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just like Jesus at the climax of his time here on earth, threw himself at your mercies for you to do what only you can do. I pray and throw ourselves at your mercies this morning and ask that you would do for us what only you can do. Take this word and plant it deep in us. Grow out of us a love for your church, a love for those you died for. May we be those that Jesus prayed for. May the prayer that he prayed for for us be true. I pray this for today, now, here, and forevermore. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, it was Sigmund Freud, the Austrian, the Austrian psych- psychologist, neurologist, and, and founder of psychoanalysis, who, who, who popularized the notion that, that our dreams are windows into our souls. He said in his book on the interpretation of dreams that, that, that they are the fulfillment of desires excited during the day that are only satisfied when we sleep. So your dreams say something about yourself. If you were dreaming about the Cubs last night, it may be because you had a desire yesterday that went unfulfilled and was only satisfied at night. Now, if you were not dreaming about the Cubs, maybe it's because you're a mom and all you were dreaming about was five minutes peace. But our dreams are windows into our souls. They say something about yourself. Well, some, though, have taken this a step further and suggested that perhaps better than our dreams, it's in fact our nightmares 
that say the most about us, what we're afraid of, what makes us anxious, what we're running from, and by contrast, what we're living for. Keep on dreaming you're the emperor with no clothes, and that may mean that you're living for for power and the recognition of power, or maybe that you just have more of of a fashion sense than I do. But dreams and nightmares are kind of difficult to pin down, especially if you're wondering what's driving someone else. So, so if you're looking for a window into someone else's soul, maybe more than dreams and more than nightmares, sometimes all you can do is, is listen to how a person puts those things into words. And perhaps there's no better place to look if you get the chance than to listen to how someone prays. John 17, then, is arguably our greatest glimpse of what was driving Jesus. It's the most personal of all his prayers recorded in the Gospels, and and so the clearest window into his soul and the most intimate sketch of what he was living for, which we see as Jesus prays, first, for himself, second, for his followers, and third, for those who would follow after. So what was driving Jesus? Well, let's look first at how he prays for himself. This is where he starts in verse 1 with this declaration. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. That's the request. Glorify your Son. Elevate your Son. Lift up your Son. And he says it again in verse 4. I glorified you on earth. I exalted you on earth, accomplishing the work that was given to me. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So so what's driving Jesus? It's his own glory. But it's not as some have suggested his search for for self-acceptance, self-affirmation, self-aggrandizement. Jesus isn't caught up in the self-cult as some have called it, or, or maybe more pertinent, the selfie cult. He's not like that self-loved boy named Narcissus who, who stared like a fool at his face in the pool and drowned neath a mirror poisonous. No, because when Jesus prays for glory... To begin with, it's a glory that he was promised by the Father. This is the Father's plan, according to the Father's design, according to the Father's clock, which has been tick, tick, ticking ever since this gospel began. Did you notice that's where Jesus begins? Those are his opening words. My hour is finally here. And it's an hour that's been determined by the Father. But Jesus' glory is furthermore a glory that isn't ultimately about him. It's actually about the glory his glory will bring the Father. He's like David in that that fight with Goliath. 
Yeah, his brothers thought he was trying to steal the thunder. And, and sure, everyone would sing about him afterwards. But if you remember the story, David steps into the limelight for what? In his own words, that, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And likewise, Jesus' concern for himself is actually driven by his concern for something more. And there's a lot we can learn from this. But before we go there, think for a minute. What is Jesus actually asking when he asks to be glorified? Is he asking for the applause? Is he asking for the praise? Is he asking for the songs? No. He's asking for the mockery. He's asking to be bruised and beaten, to be spat upon and spited. Because the glory he's after is a glory he gets only when he hangs from a tree. So when Jesus prays to be lifted up, he knows full well that he's praying to be lifted up on a cross. Because that's where the Son glorifies the Father. That's where he makes available eternal life. That's where he accomplishes to the utmost the work he's been given and, and gains back the glory he had before the world began. You see, in that old myth, Narcissus, wandering in the woods, dies before a pool of water because he is unwilling to part with the reflection he finds of himself. He's so spellbound by his own beauty that he starves himself staring at himself. That self-loved boy named Narcissus, who, who stared like a fool and starved at the pool, reflected in a mirror ravenous. But Jesus dies and, and faces death even more than David did. He prays for death and is driven to his death, not because he's driven by his own glory, but because he's driven by the glory of the Father. And even the glory he's praying for, we're meant to understand as, as the glory of being with the Father. That's what it means when he says, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. It's not some other glory that he just happened to have when he was with the Father. It's the glory of being with the Father. That's the glory. And he gets back to where he started via the cross. It's the constant mantra of this gospel that he gets back by going to the cross. And this glory of being with the Father and, and the glory of the Father is what drives him. We see it first when he prays for himself, but we see it second when he prays for his followers. And it's important to see on the front end that, that Jesus isn't working through a list here. He hasn't taken out his iPhone and opened up his favorite prayer app. He checked off praying for himself and then up pops the, 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 the notification reminding him to pray for his followers as well. Good for us, right? Not needed for Jesus. 
So, driven by the glory of the Father, he's driven to pray for his glory on the cross, and then, furthermore, driven to pray that he will continue to be glorified in those who follow him. In verse 6, he starts describing who his followers are. They are the ones the Father has given him out of the world, it says. They're the ones to whom Jesus gave the words of the Father and who received those words and who thereby believed in him. And, and these are the ones in verse 9 that, that Jesus says he's praying for because, verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. So, so glorify me that I might glorify you and then glorify me in my followers. But his prayer is actually more specific than just that he would be glorified in them. If you can push through the the circular language, he says in verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. So he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. His prayer is that they would be kept, that they would be guarded, is how he's going to describe his own role in that. And Jesus goes on to explain how he kept them while he was in the world, how he guarded them. But now that he's leaving, he's handing them back, and he he says in verse 15 then, again, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, or keep them from the evil that the evil one would perpetuate. Why? Because the glory of God through the glory of the cross is finally wrapped up in our making it to the finish line. It's not unlike a marathon in which those unable to complete the race have their records stamped as DNF, did not finish. And the runner dressed up like Wonder Woman who got her picture in the New York Post, do you remember this? Who had to take a bus to the finish line, did not bring the superhero glory, did not make Wonder Woman proud. There was no glory in it. And so Jesus prays, keep them in your name, shorthand for keep them in the power behind your name, keep them from the evil one, keep them for the finish line. But Jesus' request is even more specific because he goes on in verse 17 to pray that the Father would sanctify his followers in the truth. That's how he keeps them. Your word, he says, is truth. And he, he clarifies the point saying that as you sent me, so I have sent them And for their sake, I consecrate myself or sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, what's he saying? Well, it all hinges on this word sanctify or what's translated consecrate when it comes to Jesus. And though it sounds real highfalutin, all it really means is to be set apart for the service of God. So the temple in the Old Testament, the things of the temple were consecrated, sanctified because of what they were used for. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm setting apart myself, or, or the notion is he's fulfilling what he's been set apart for, 
so that his followers might be set apart after him. Because his followers can't do their job if Jesus doesn't first do his. Our job is to trust in his job. That's what it's been this entire time since the very beginning of this gospel. It's a call to follow, which is fundamentally a call to trust the one you're following. And that's the word. That's the truth in which we are sanctified. And Jesus is praying that the Father would do just that, sanctify us, set us apart, keep us by the cross. I remember up at this camp I used to work at, we'd, we'd get some pretty incredible winds blowing across the lake. And, and in the worst of those, uh, we, we'd end up with a beach full of boats because they'd all come undone from their anchors. All the, the anchors would pull out of wherever they were plopped. All of them, that is, except for one. And it happened to be my dad's. Because my dad would go out there at the beginning of the summer and, and, and to anchor his boat, which was not nearly as nice as everybody else's boat, to anchor his boat, he would take 15, true story, 15 50-pound weights, like workout weights, chain them together and bury them in the sand. So when a wind came through or a storm blew up, all the other boats, while they were beached on the shore, out there still in the lake, floating by and by, was my father's little dinghy. And Jesus is saying that the cross is the only anchor amidst the storms of life that will hold. But isn't it remarkable that even here, even here in Jesus' prayer for his followers, centered on his cross, that he's just as much concerned for the glory of the Father as he is in his prayer for himself. This isn't one of those, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. Even even though this is Jesus, and, and if anyone could have said that with a straight face, it was Jesus. But instead, he says that, that you and I are kept in the name of the Father. That he gave us the, the word of the Father and prays that we would be sanctified in the truth of the Father. The plan that the Father set in motion before the world began. The plan of the cross. And Jesus carries out the work the Father gave him so the Father can get the credit for carrying on the work in us. I remember when my dad started sending me down to bury those weights. But when those storms blew in, even though me and my brothers were the ones who did the work, we were all pointing back to dad. But Jesus' preoccupation with the glory of the Father, his submission to the Father, his constant dependence upon the Father, comes out not only in his prayer for himself and his prayer for his followers, but also third in his prayer for those who would follow after. And this is us. This is us. He says in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
namely that they may all be one. And he says the reason for this is is that the world might know that the Father sent the Son, and and later that the, the world would know that the Father loved Jesus' followers like he loved Jesus. But if the Father's going to get the credit, it'd be worth asking on the front end what this oneness is all about. Because it's not just a unity that we can get on our own, as so many have done. You see, in the last 2,000 years, a lot of people have taken Jesus' prayer here as an excuse to, to lower the bar to the least common denominator. Like we're the ones who, who can make this happen on our own, that we can unify ourselves, who, who, have, who have made it happen at all cost, some people. You like Jesus. Great. At least you don't dislike Jesus. Even better. You've got a beard, so you look like Jesus. And then you cue John Lennon, and we're good. We're good. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine there's no countries, nothing to kill for or to die. No religion or possessions and nothing left to make you cry. But when Jesus hashes this out, it's a bit more than that, isn't it? See, he prays that his followers would be one, just as, Father, you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And then in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. And this language of us in them and them in us is something Jesus has been talking about for five chapters now. Arguably, he's been talking about it for 17 chapters now. And far from the least common denominator, it's all about us resting in them and the the work that they do and, and them taking up residence in us. Resting in them in the sense that they lead, we follow, which is a lot different than than any of these movements for unity usually look like. They lead, we follow, and then them taking up residence in us in the sense that they empower us to do it by the Spirit. And it's all about the cross. It's all about the cross. So saying we're supposed to be one like they are one isn't some mic drop or, or, or meant to be a Trinitarian mind explosion. This isn't a Chinese proverb that, that everyone goes around repeating but nobody really understands. It's just about who's following who and who's making it possible to follow. We follow Jesus not the other way around. And Jesus follows the Father. And the Father gives the Spirit to Jesus, who then gives us the Spirit because we're his followers. It's a window into Jesus' soul, a glimpse of what's driving him, that the Father would be, as another author put it, all in all. 
But let's not forget that this is also a prayer about what would be driving us. I love that statement that Jesus makes. That the glory you have given me, I have given them. And it's the glory of letting the Father set the agenda. He did it for Jesus. He does it for us. It's a glory that we have of following the Father. The Father's declaration that we would follow the Son. And if you're a follower of Christ, if you're one of those who, who put their faith in him, to do what only he can do. Let me encourage you that what Jesus prays, Jesus gets. Whether that's with your part in this body or the larger body of Christ, our our growth as a family, or whether you're going to make it to the end, what Jesus prays, Jesus gets. Because Jesus is driven by the glory of the Father, which is all about God doing what God set out to do from the very beginning. Let me close with a question. Are you driven by what drove Jesus? Are you driven in life by the glory of the Father? Through that, by the glory of the Son, that in you they are glorified. Or are you raising your kids as if all that matters is what people think of you, your your parenting abilities? Yesterday for me it was how well Emmett could bat. Sure, God might get a spot and grace may get a nod, but push comes to shove. You'd, you'd even go back to the law if, you made, if it made you look better. Are you playing the Savior with your spouse? Setting yourself up as an anchor apart from the cross. And we can do it with just about anyone. Climbing the corporate ladder, even doing that in the name of ministry. Starving ourselves because we spend so much time staring at ourselves in our selfies. Ask yourself, are you driven by what drove Jesus? And if you're not, let me encourage you to make this prayer your own. It was written down to to give us a window into Jesus' soul, but it was also written down that, that we might begin to pray it ourselves, that the Father would be glorified through the glory of Jesus, and that Jesus would be glorified in his followers, kept to the end, and that we might be one as we rest together in their will and as they take up residence in us. And let me also encourage you that if you're one of Jesus' followers, what Jesus prays, Jesus gets for the good of his followers and for the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful 
that the most righteous man, the one who had the right to pray such things, prayed for me, prayed for us, and then followed through and has done the work. I ask that today would be another turning point in our lives where Jesus would take center stage, that you would ultimately be lifted high because he was lifted high on the cross. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I love these words in verse 24 where Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I pray this week that you would do just that, that you would be where Jesus is, resting in the Father, the Father through Christ and the Spirit through him residing in you, and that you would see the glory even as you look in the mirror. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.